like to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to join me in the very last book of Revelation. How many of you, like me, have trouble not saying Revelations? Revelation chapter 21. Have you ever enjoyed something so much that you made the comment, this is heaven? Maybe it was a dinner And you thought it cannot get any better than this. This is heaven. Maybe you were on vacation and you were away from the everyday pressure of life and what you were looking at was beautiful and serene and you thought this must be what heaven is like. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's some distant memory you have about life. I know the state of West Virginia, after all, claims to be almost heaven. You ever been across 64 through almost heaven? (laughs) West Virginia's natural beauty notwithstanding, I think that we sell heaven short. The fact is, the average Christian, and I would assume that's the majority of you and I that are here, think about heaven as someplace up there somewhere where we should be happy because we're going to do a whole lot of singing. But we don't let the implications of the reality of heaven motivate us as it should. John recorded in his gospel account, as Jesus Christ was comforting the disciples, right at the conclusion of the upper room, he told them, I am going to go to my father's house and prepare a place for you. And the day will come where I will bring you to be with me where I am at. We have all received... All of humanity, an invitation to move in to Jesus' Father's house as one of the family. That's our eternity. That's our destination as believers. I know from simple study that cultures the world over and all throughout history have considered the implications of the afterlife. I'm told that Australian Aborigines thought of heaven as some distant land beyond the horizon. Study will tell you that the early Finns thought it was an island in the Far East. The Mexicans, the Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they would eventually go to the sun. Native Americans believed that their afterlife spirits would hunt buffaloes. Ancient Egyptians actually left maps to act as guides for their dead to the future world. The Romans believed that you rested in the Elysian fields with your horses. Every culture. History tells us, the scripture reminds us that innate in humanity is the awareness of eternity. Yet I would say to you that you and I cannot deduce what heaven is, regardless of books that are released, apart from the Bible. And the Bible tells us about what we can expect in heaven. That we ought to look forward to heaven. That it should be one of our primary motivations. Here in Revelation chapter 21, I want you to begin reading with me in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, those verses will be available here on the screen so that you can know this is from God's Word. And I, this is John writing now, he's in this vision and he writes this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now he's trying to give us visual imagery. It was like a bride adorned for her husband. That's what his language is limiting him to communicate. It was just like that. Verse 3. 
And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Here John is having a vision of that which is to come. And specifically in Revelation 21, he is articulating to us the reality of heaven in the future. And he is communicating to the best of his language bounds to tell us what it looks like and what he is seeing. And it's amazing. Whatever it is, is amazing. And I opine that in verse 5, when the Lord says to him, Right, for these words are true and faithful, I'd like to imagine that John is so amazed by what he is seeing, so overwhelmed by the opulence of all the visuals, that he has to be reminded, Don't forget while you're here, right, these things are true and faithful. And he tells us an awful lot. You see, most of us do not consider the implications of Scripture and what it teaches us because we think of heaven for all eternity as someplace out there, someplace out there beyond the stars. And I know that there's a whole study that is wrapped up in paradise, and I grasp that. We're in Revelation 21, and I want to stay within that context, and we cannot escape that this is communicated. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. It is a promise. Now, this isn't just in Revelation chapter 21. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what Peter tells us. As we navigate life in this world, we are looking, we are motivated by a look for new heavens and a new earth. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, writing prophetically about the future to come, said this in Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. A chapter later in Isaiah 66, 22, he writes this, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before you, saith the Lord. So shall your seed and your name remain. It is not some thought that is launched on us at the very end of the Bible. But this reality is taught to us throughout all of Scripture. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Remember that when God completed creation, He looked and He said, it is very good. Sin, of course, corrupts. Creation. Right now we are told that all of creation groans under the curse of sin, waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the peace that it will usher in. God fully intends to reconcile, to bring heaven and earth together. This is what is communicated to us concerning the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And again, we could really study deeply. And we could really spend a lot of time in this. I just want you to grasp 
the language that is taught to us within the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if anyone is a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, if anyone is saved, maybe that's a term, anyone that is born again, anyone that is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He is going to literally restore that which has been wrecked by sin. He is going to reestablish that communion as he intended. By the time we get to verse 2, he says something very specific. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. And I want you to just listen to this language. This is what he is seeing. In verse 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. What did he see? He said, I saw it coming down from God out of heaven, prepared. It was just like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. So he's bringing the senses into this. I saw this and I heard this great voice saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Where is this new Jerusalem descending to? The earth. This is not out there beyond the stars. The new Jerusalem descends to the new earth. You say, my goodness, you're getting theologically deep on me this morning. Really, this is a motivating reality for every believer. This is our future home. How many of you have purchased a home and never seen it before? How many of you go on vacation or rent an Airbnb and don't try to Google street map view where that thing is or verify with a few pictures what it is that you've paid for and your future destination? It stuns me how many of us as believers really don't invest in making ourselves aware of what our future destination, heaven, is actually going to look like. And by the way, you're not there for an overnight or two nights or three. It's eternity, which is quite an investment. It's a very long time. We'll be experiencing the glory of God's creation on a brand new earth. New universe forever. In fact, this world that we live in does give us a foretaste, a glimpse into the next world. You say, I really need to know when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, what is it going to look like? Tell me all of the details. Here's what I do know. We already have some experience with a world that God himself created. How many of you think you might be able to visualize a tree? If you try really hard... You can visualize a tree. Because here in Revelation chapter 21, we are told that there is going to be a tree of life that is there, indicating, I believe, that there will be trees. And we know what trees look like. There's a river. If you try really hard, you can even conjure up the image of a river in your mind. What I am saying to you is this world does give us a foretaste. It does give us a glimpse into the world that is to come. Now, I want to establish this scripturally in the book of Genesis which, by the way, is the extreme opposite end of this book, Revelation. In Genesis chapter 2, I want you to listen to what the Bible says. Listen closely and look at the language that is communicated. Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God planted a garden. Now, who planted the garden? Deep? Anyone? Anyone. The Lord God planted a garden. Which direction did he set it? Eastward in Eden. It is the garden of Eden. It is the garden in the midst of Eden, which God himself planted there. And he put the man whom he had formed and the man that he made out of the ground 
to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I could spend a little more time there. What I want to communicate to you is simply this. God was personally invested, interested, and involved with creation. That is a fact. He planted a garden. Now, when you fast forward to the New Testament, you will sense a personal touch again in John chapter 14, as I have already referenced. Jesus is comforting the disciples. The disciples are confronting the reality that Jesus is going to leave them. They have never in their earthly ministry had to navigate a day without the presence of Jesus. And it is, it is really wrecking their world. Their spirits are troubled. Anxiety creeps in and Jesus is comforting them. And here's what Jesus says to them. In John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, which I am doing, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Who is doing the preparation of the place that we are going to? Jesus himself. It has a personal touch. And the personal touch is not any architect, engineer, developer, or designer that we would know of. It is none other than the Lord God himself. It is intriguing to me to come to the understanding that the new heaven and the new earth that we will inhabit is going to be beautiful. I don't think it's merely a reset or a restart to how it was at the beginning. I think there will be some continuity to what currently is, but I think it will be new, unique, just like our glorified bodies will be. We've never seen men and women as they were intended to be. I mean, a few of us are specimens that when you look at us, you're like, that's probably what it was supposed to look like. I mean, I can stand to the side of the pulpit so you can, I mean, okay, enough. We've never once in our lives ever seen what nature was to look like unchained and undiminished by sin. And yet I would say to you, if the wrong side, let's put air quotes on that, if the wrong side of heaven is as beautiful as it is, can you even begin to fathom the visual imagery of the right side of heaven? I think it'll be recognizable, but it will be different, it'll be perfected, it will be unique in so many ways. It will be God's gift to us, a real place for all eternity magnificently beautiful, completely restored, refashioned. The truth is in this new world, though, we can't really begin to imagine what it will all look like. John tells us it's going to be new. So when you think about heaven, consider these implications. It is not out there beyond the stars, though, if you were to die and to be in the presence of the Lord. That's where you're going to be, is in the presence of the Lord. You say, Pastor, I want to take a globe and I want you to point to where heaven is. I don't know where it is. He said, but you're supposed to know all the answers. I don't know where it is, but I do know this. In our future home, new heaven and a new earth. You say, well, I have a question. If there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, what happens to the old one? Do we trade it in? No. In fact, Peter enlightens us as to what will happen to this world. And in there, we find some motivation. Here's what he writes in 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. 
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Let me just explain to you what he said. The new heaven and the new earth will be created. You say, now hold on a second. What you're telling me is that God is going to destroy the current heavens and the current earth and he's going to create a new one out of nothing. Is there any precedent for God creating a universe out of nothing? Actually, there is. It has happened before. He has created it out of nothing with merely a breath. He will do it again. And what he is saying to us is this. The day is going to come where the earth with a great noise, the heavens with a great noise, dissolved. And the elements of the earth and all the works therein. And elements, right? It takes all different kinds of heat to burn up elements. They burn up at different temperatures. All I know is this. The fervent heat is going to be enough to burn up all the elements. And by the way, thrown in there, and the works. Seeing then that all of this is going to happen, Peter says, shouldn't you be concerned about holiness and the lifestyle that you are living? You find motivation, right? Heaven is coming. We should be motivated. What do I know about heaven? I do know this. Philippians 3 tells me that new heaven, that new earth, that is my future home. I know that in Revelation 20, one chapter earlier, my name as a believer has been recorded in a book that is there. I know that my treasure, according to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, should be stored up there. I should not be so temporally or earthly minded. It's going to burn up and all of those works will not matter in eternity. Only what's done for Christ will last. That will set you and me straight. Not only is there going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and thank God for that, we've kind of hurt the one that we have. We will live in a new reality, one like we have never inhabited before. Listen to what he says in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful, verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I love how one commentator in studying these verses described it. He said, heaven is the place of no more. You ever looked at your children and said, no more? That's it. The old adage of, do I have to turn this car around? If you all don't stop in the backseat, I knew my parents weren't turning the car around. They wanted to go on vacation as bad as we did. We'd get away with murder back there. But I have had my parents say something like, no more, stop it. And it was communicated in an authoritative tone. I want you to take a step back, and I want you to hear that the God of heaven says, it is done. That's enough of that. That's enough of that sorrow. That's enough of that grieving. That's enough of that crying. That's enough of those tears. That's enough of that anguish. We'll have none of that here, no more. God is going to wipe away all disappointment. He's going to wipe out sadness. Not one tear will fall. That's what the Greek language emphasizes. Why? Because the very context of sadness and pain has been forever removed. No more tears of misfortune. No more tears over lost love, no more tears of remorse, no more tears of regret. In heaven, there will be no more death. Get this, not even one cell will die in heaven. That's awesome. 
Think for a minute. If somebody handed me their Bible and they said, Pastor, can you tell me what Revelation 21, 16 means? There was a day when I would take it and I would do this. Now I do this. Revelation 21, 16. What? Revelation 21, 16. Yeah. Why? My eyes aren't what they once were. But in heaven, not even one cell will fatigue. No more death on any level. Down literally to the cellular level. My eyes will not need glasses. How incredible is that? My hair, what once was. And you, listen, I, I said this in the first service. I want to reiterate this now. You look at me, you look at my wife, and you think, how in the world did he, what? That doesn't make sense. I just want you to know, you don't get a woman like that without having started in a better place than this. <laughs> what you are seeing is evidence of cellular degeneration. And there's nothing I can do about it. But I do know this. In heaven, there will not be one cell that dies. Our hair will stay where he put it. Not one cell is going the wrong direction. Our eyes will not fatigue. There will be no need for sleep because there will be no death of any kind. We can't even grasp rest of that depth because our human frailty doesn't allow us to even imagine what life would be without cellular fatigue. None of it. It's utterly and completely gone. There's nothing of death in the new creation. The reality is our bodies will never need to be replenished. It's eternal rest. I love what one old pastor wrote. He said, our worldly goods are taken from us and we have sorrow. We're encompassed with difficulties and troubles and we have sorrow. Our friends forsake us, look coldly on us. We have sorrow. Those whom we love and and those who have left, we have sorrow. Our own hearts are frail and full of corruption and that brings sorrow. We're persecuted and oppressed for the gospel's sake, and that brings sorrow. We see those who are near and dear to us refusing to walk with God, and that brings sorrow. Oh, he wrote, what a sorrowing, grieving world we live in, and we do, yet not there. No more sorrow, no more grief, no crying. You say, now hold on a second, as a student of the Bible, and I'm a good one, I read in there that he said no, no crying and, and no tears. He said the same thing twice. No, he said no crying, which is the outburst of anger or the shriek of pain. Can you fathom that on the streets of gold, there will literally be no road rage? You'll never be mad at somebody who cuts you off, ever And if they cut you off, it's going to be somebody that, I mean, after, it's Paul. What do I do? I I can't yell at Paul. It's Moses, man. Have it. It's your street. I'm just here. No crying in heaven. No pain. Man, no pain. Everything hurts, doesn't it? A bug bite, it hurts. Maybe I'm just a wimp, but allergies, my eyes itch. Everything hurts. No more pain. No more hospitals. No more hospitals. No more masks. No more vaccines. No more emergency rooms. No more fever. No more arthritis. No more broken hearts. No more broken arms. No more arguments. No more fights. No hurt feelings. No shattered dreams. No missed opportunities. No damaged relationships. No fearful anxiety because anything that brings about anxiety has been utterly eradicated in our new reality. No more painful consequences, no more painful memories, 
No more prisons. And that's why in verse 5, God has to say out loud, I, God, who cannot lie, am delivering you the truth of everlasting life and an everlasting new order for living. It's fact. Count on it. My promises are faithful and they all come true. It is done. These things are finished. When Jesus was on the cross, he shouted out in John 19 the word tetelestai. It is finished. In, in Genesis, at the conclusion of creation, he completes it and he rests on the seventh day. And in Revelation chapter 21, he says again, it is done. God is not bound by time. Let your mind go on that for a minute. Where God is, this is already completed. Everything is beautiful in his time. That's what Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us. Which means whatever ails us here and now... According to the sovereign plan of God, though our finite minds can't wrap around it, the conclusion of it, where God is, is already beautiful. So no matter what comes into our lives, our future is one of beauty, and our future reality is one of rest on a level that we cannot comprehend. Let this sink in for just a minute. Jesus said that his Father's house is our Father's house, if we are Christians, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. Let that sink in whenever you're full of yourself. How amazing is it that Jesus shares his inheritance with us? When my parents go to be with the Lord, God willing, there's something left for me, an inheritance. You say, how, how much? I don't know, but you just heard me say, God willing, there's something I mean, after all, right? The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So come on, mom and dad, if you're listening, get after it. Stop spending money. I'm not going to, in that moment, bring you into this room and go, hey, time out, my parents are gone. Uh, I'm the executor of the will, and what I've decided to do is take the inheritance and split it with all of you. That is not going to happen. Now, if you want to bring me in on your end, cool, I get it. I'm a nice guy. I'd want to share with me too. Can you stop for a minute and think of the implications of the only begotten Son of God? The only singular and unique Son of God, Jesus Christ. That when we are saved, we become joint heirs with Christ and the eternal inheritance of the only begotten Son of God, who at this moment is exalted and seated on the right hand of God, becomes ours and we share in it for all of eternity. Is that even remotely fair? No. But we have that privilege extended to us as overcomers. The invitation is open to everybody. It's our new reality. John Newton wrote this. When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders. Now, I think that's underselling it, but I know what he's saying. The first wonder will be to see many there whom I did not expect to see. I can identify. The second wonder will be to miss many people who I did expect to see. And the third and greatest of all will be that I find myself there. Isn't that incredible? I assure you, I will have a perfected mind in heaven because the scripture tells me that. But I know there's going to be a moment where I'm talking to somebody and I walk away and whisper to Christy like, what? Never would have thought they'd make it. They're here. Who knew? 
every time I get, every time I get funny, my theology goes in the tank. So none of that will happen. Not an ounce of that will happen. But I do think there will be awareness that some are there and that some aren't. But it should amaze us that we're there. How do we get to be joint heirs with Christ? How is it our new reality that we'll have that kind of rest? A new heaven and a new earth, a new reality. And then he says something so pointed. He told us about a new Jerusalem, his father's house. I want you to look at verse 10. And he, now this is the angel that's giving John the tour. And you say, boy, that's a lot for me to swallow. We got to go back to Revelation 1 and start through this. We don't have that time this morning. Unless you do, just raise your hand. And that's exactly what I thought. You all want to go home. Here's what he writes in verse 10. And he, the angel giving the tour, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The city at the center of the future heaven is the new Jerusalem. It is a walled city. Its security is unquestioned. And it is a vast, large place. Now, I want to just reiterate, there's a river there, we'll get there. There's a tree there, we'll get there. John was taken to a very high mountain, and he watched it descend out of heaven from God and settle on the new earth, under the new heaven, in the new reality, and God was there. That's what the Bible tells us. The great voice shouts out, no more division between my beloved and me. I will be there with them. And then he tells us about the massive size of this city. Look what he writes in verse 15. And he that had, or he that talked with me, had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Now, I know you already get that, so I won't even expound on that. Piece of cake, furlongs, equality, and length, breadth, and height. You get reeds. All of us understand. We'll just move on. Some of this I have no idea. Commentators differ on the sheer size of it. Here's what I do know. It's vast. In fact, if, some commentators say, every level of it was 12 feet, it would be a 600,000-story building. That's, That's massive. It is a massive, massive city. It is his father's house towering into the sky to communicate that he alone is God of living, I'm sorry, the true and living God of the earth, and that the prince and the power of the air no longer rules in rebellion against him. What I am communicating is this new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem is vast. It is large. It is something like we've never seen before. I know it has 12 gates. I know the Bible says in verse 12, and that city had a wall great and high and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels. And names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the gates will never be closed. That's what verse 25 tells us. So you and I will be passing in and out, as real as we are in this room, into the new Jerusalem through gates that are made of one giant pearl. And there's an angel standing guard at every gate. He's not standing there checking your vaccine passport. I'm pretty sure of it. He's not there checking your identification. He is there and it communicates incredible security. Now, I do think to myself, what do we do when we wander by this angel in heaven? We get to the gate, do we just nod at him like, hey, hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate, appreciate what you're doing. 
You're, you're here a lot. It's a long time to be on this post, I understand. He's there. Through the gate of giant pearl, we can enter in and out of this new city of Jerusalem. All of the earth is filled with the knowledge of God, unlike Romans chapter 1, which speaks of the downward spiral of humanity when the truth of God is rejected. Verse 24, it says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of nations into it. All the enemies of the kingdom of God have forever been cast into the lake of fire. And it will be visually magnificent. I mean, it will be stunning to us. Jaw-dropping to us in verse 11. He is beginning to describe it and he says it has the glory of God and the light of it was like unto stones most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Then he goes on and I won't belabor this in verse 18. He says, now the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalstony, the fourth an emerald, and on and on and on and on. He is explaining to us the opulence, the visual magnificence of the new Jerusalem, and it is overwhelming. And we will have all of eternity to explore the new heaven, the new earth, And the new Jerusalem, his father's house, that great city at the center of heaven. And the Bible will tell us that there is a river that flows from the throne of God, which must be elevated for the river to come out, down through the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And we will have the freedom to pass in and out and to interact with Jesus Christ himself. How stunning is that? You say, well, how... How long do we have to wait, though, in line to get to him? I don't know. I said again in the first service, there are some questions I don't have the answer for. When you sell a house and you're building a house, you might have to go into an apartment for a time, right? Where do we go between the dissolving of the old earth, the creation of the new? Are we just floating in the air? I don't know the answer to that. God does. I'm thinking he can do work pretty quick. I don't think we're going to be out of place long. I do know that we'll pass in and out of the city and we'll get to be where Jesus is. And we will recognize one another. And we will have freedom to move about. You say, well, I'm kind of a mountain person. You have a new earth to explore for all of eternity. Go to the great and high mountain where John looked at the descending New Jerusalem. You say, well, I'm kind of a beach person. Well, verse one says there's no more sea. I think there will be bodies of water. The the staggering thing is, get this, For the first time in your life, you will have the perfect beach body. And you'll think, if only we could rewind the tape and I could go back, what I could have been, what I could have done. Ah. The new Jerusalem, as he describes it to us, is overwhelming. By the time we get to chapter 22, he says this in verse 1, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Everything there points to healing. Everything there communicates to us the reality of being made whole and better than whole, uniquely new and glorified. We'll be like Jesus Christ. 
in his glorified body, who, when the doors of the upper room were closed, made his way into the upper room where the disciples were dining. He didn't open a door. I know that some rule of physics has to apply, but not the first and second law of thermodynamics. That's eradicated. I know for the fact that we'll be there as Jesus Christ is there. We'll be in this new reality and everyone that you have ever longed to see again will be there. And we will no longer have any anxiety or fear of having to say goodbye to them. We will no longer have to watch them endure any kind of physical anguish or pain. What this study should do is not have us debate over which foundation stone is the prettiest and what all of this stuff means and how do they mortar all the emerald together. What does this crystal clear? What it should do is make us long for heaven. What it should do is comfort us as we look for our blessed hope. You realize the Bible tells us in Titus 2.13, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love the idea of hope. We sometimes skip over the word blessed, which means happy. It's not just our hope that sustains us. It is a happy ending for everybody. It is truly Happily ever after, forever and ever and ever. It's not just a hope for us, it's a happy hope. You say, well, come on, they tell me we're just going to sing all the time. Doesn't sound really happy. I'm in that club. That doesn't thrill me, but I won't have this brain. Thank God for that. I won't be bound by this body. I won't have these limitations. It's a happy memory. Everybody has a chance to get there. You know, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the Bible tells us just one chapter earlier in Revelation chapter 20, that those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. Those are two extremely different destinations. Eternity in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, and eternity in the lake of fire. What I'm saying is this. This world is not easy. I know that. Life goes by fast. That's what the scripture tells us. It's a vapor. It appears and it's gone. And Job tells us, and the years that we spend are full of trouble and grief and pain and anguish. Every one of us, if we're honest, have some missed opportunities in the past. We carry a few scars. Some of them are actual physical scars. Others are emotional scars. We have them with us. It is just what we carry. It's part of who we are. We have anxieties. We have forebodings. Not one of us is promised that we'll never have a health scare or the reality of a health crisis. Not one of us is promised that. But I do know this. For everybody who is a believer whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, though I cannot diminish the moment of sorrow and though I cannot strip you of the humanity that demands those feelings, what I can say to you is founded on the scripture, you have a happy hope. And I know that no one who has ever died in Christ has ever regretted it. And I know that the Apostle Paul, who glanced just the vision of it, said, I want to be with Jesus because it's far better there than it is here. Sometimes people say, now, it's been so long since I've seen my loved one. It's been 50 years. We lost a child. It's been 50 years. Do they feel that same anguish there, that same longing there? No. For a thousand years with the Lord is as a single day. Your separation from them in their mind is instantaneous. There's nothing of anxiety. There's nothing of anguish. There's nothing of death there. 
I'm not going to discuss much on hell, but as a reference point, I will tell you it's a real place, and I will say it's better to go to heaven. And I will say for every believer who wonders why they get out of bed tomorrow morning or why they tell somebody else about Christ or why they pursue holiness or why they try to store up their treasures in heaven instead of this life, because heaven is one of our primary motivations. There's an incredible theologian, deeply, deeply he writes, His name is Peter Pan. You ever read after Peter Pan? Peter Pan said this, to die will be an awfully big adventure. And for anybody who's in Christ, though here we may look at it with anguish and pain, for any believer in Christ, to die will be an awfully big adventure. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.